reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered unto us, them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own country. And Joseph also went unto Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was... While they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Skipping down to verse 22. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. For a little while this morning, I want to talk to you about the eyewitness. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. I have been thinking about the birth of Jesus for several weeks now, and the more I have read about it and studied about it, I noticed in Luke's writing some information that I had just failed to pay attention to, and as I was reading it, it <clears throat> dawned on me that all of us today have the same privilege to write the same kind of story that Luke wrote. We all have that same privilege today. We have the power to write our story to our world about what Jesus has done for us. Luke, writing to his friend Theophilus, history doesn't tell us exactly who he was. We know that he is a man of importance by 
the term that Luke uses to describe him as most excellent, which was a term used to describe someone in rulership in the Roman Empire. So it's obvious that he is a man of great importance. He could have been the man who ruled over Antioch, or he could have been the lawyer that represented Paul, or he possibly could have been part of uh, the household of Caesar and was one of the staff of Caesar. We have no clue who he is. We just know that Luke decides to write to Theophilus not just what he's heard, but what he's seen as well. The beauty of the Bible is that in the beginning, it's a story you hear. But after your encounter with Jesus and you become his child and that new birth experience, it's no longer a story that you read about. It's a story you get to live. You don't tell of somebody else's relationship or what someone else has has experienced from God, there comes a point in life where the story about Jesus becomes a personal story that you can tell and that has the power to change lives. This week I, I flew to um, Branson, Missouri and met with a group of men that are helping churches gain funding for their building programs and while we were there we were sitting around a table in conversation and one of our pastors from Jennings, Louisiana was there, Brother Clifton Jordan, that's preached here before and as we were talking he, the, the man asked him to tell him his story and so he began to tell the story of his life and how God had changed him and at the end of telling his story this man said to the man sitting beside Brother Zern, I want to be baptized in his name. Simply by telling that story, there came a revelation. And all of us have the power today to tell that same story. You see, it's more than just a story. In the beginning, Luke says that it was a story that all of us heard about and and that we confirmed. But then there came a point where it became more than somebody else telling the story. He said, I decided I wanted to write to you, O Theophilus. And so to be able to write to you, O Theophilus, it would require me to go do some things that uh, I probably normally wouldn't have done. I would just heard what others said and take that at face value and record it. So instead... I started investigating and talking to eyewitnesses that heard the story. Isn't it interesting that Luke is the only writer that tells us about shepherds in the field and angels appearing to those shepherds and saying to them, Be not afraid. I bring you good news. There's a Savior born today in the city of David and you can go see him. So for Luke to tell that part of the story, Luke had to find a shepherd. Let's think about it from that shepherd's standpoint. How do you think the shepherd related to Luke? 
what he heard that night and what he experienced that night while attending sheep. It's quite obvious that the shepherds tending the flocks that the angels appeared to, which were close to Bethlehem, were actually animals that would be sacrificed in the temple on a daily basis. So these are not common shepherds. These are the shepherds that tend the flocks that produce the sheep or the lambs for the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. And they understand their role. There could be some connection to them and the lineage of Levi. And they could be of the priestly order. That's not necessarily a fact, but they could be. But whether they were or not, they knew what their job was. And they understood that their job was uh, to take care of these lambs and make sure they're available for the morning and evening sacrifice every day. Every day, 365 days out of the year, there was a morning and an evening sacrifice. And it was their role to make sure the lambs were available. And on that night, the angel of the Lord appeared unto them. And as the angel began to speak to them, they were terribly afraid. And the angel says, be not afraid, because I bring you good tidings of great joy. Behold, there is a Savior born to you this day in the city of David which is Christ the Lord. That Savior wasn't just to the Jews because the book of Luke is not written from a Jewish standpoint because he's not a Jew. It's written from a Gentile standpoint and everything in it is about Gentiles. He doesn't call Jesus a rabbi. He never uses the term rabbi in his writing. He uses the term master in his writing. He doesn't call uh, the, the Calvary, Golgotha, he calls it the place of the skull or scolion, which refers to a skull. He, he uses the Greek term to identify everything that was Jewish. So he's not writing to a Jewish group of people to help them understand who Jesus is. He's writing to his Gentile world to let them know that salvation wasn't just for the Jews. I bring you good tidings of great joy to all the world, not a select group of people, but I bring you great tidings today that there is a Savior born in the city of David. A Savior. The word to save is zoe, and it literally translates to heal body, soul, and spirit. Salvation was not simply the recovering of your soul from damnation and from exile from God. Salvation includes the healing of your mind, the healing of your heart, the healing of your body. So in salvation is the essence of everything you need to be a whole person. Today, there is a Savior born, which allows me to preach and believe that there are going to be miracles today, and we're going to see great things happen, and we're going to have great stories, and Erica is going to be one of our stories, and, and, and there are others that are going to become part of that story because God is still a Savior today. We get to write our version of the story. So what is your version about Jesus? If you were going to tell your best friend or somebody that you knew that you wanted to influence with uh, uh, and let them know about your relationship with Jesus, how would you describe him? What would be the words you would use to talk about Jesus? 
Would you call him different? How would you describe him? See, most people will probably describe Jesus through the eyes of a father because he is our father. So we would describe him through eyes of the way we saw dad. And so if dad happened to be absent in our life, there's a great probability we might see Jesus as being a little absent from us. Dad was harsh and hard. There's great probability that we might view Jesus as being a little harsh and hard and that we wouldn't have the ability to measure up or be good enough because he just set standards and expectations that are greater than ours. And I, I can't reach the goal that he has for me. Or, or, or if he never said he loved us, we might see God as not being able to love us because we're just not quite lovable. But none of those things are true. So today I, I challenge you to never view God through the eyes of humans and those that influence you, but see him for what he really was. You gotta do what Paul did. You gotta get outside of you and you gotta go find people that have had an encounter with him and ask them about how, what did you notice that night? What was so special that night when the angel showed up and began to sing? I met a person who heard angels sing He was only nine when I met him. He was born with spina bifida. Immediately after birth, required four or five hours of surgery to close his spine up because it was exposed. He never learned to walk. He never rode a bicycle. He never experienced the normal things of life that you and I would experience. But he had an incredible testimony. When I met him, the doctors had told his parents that the odds were he would never live through puberty because his little body would never be able to go through the change that would be required and his organs wouldn't be able to keep up with the change. He was born with one kidney that didn't work at all, and the other kidney only had 30% function. And as he got older, they began to have more and more problems functioning. But when you met Edwin, you never saw a frown. I never walked into his presence, or he came around me, that I ever saw him down. Every time I saw Edwin, he had a smile on his face. If he ever saw me, his first response, it didn't matter how big the place was and the church he attended, the auditorium was built to seat, I think, 11 or 1,200 people, a very large building. And if you walked in and he could see you across the way, he at the top of his lungs, because he's confined to a wheelchair, he would just holler your name out and say, you need to come and talk to me. And so I... I walk into the church where he was at, and I'd hear that little boy say, Dr. Hughes, come here. I need to talk to you. 
I'd walk up to Edward and he'd say, kneel down here beside me. You need to hug my neck. And so I'd kneel down beside Edwin and I'd hug his neck. It got to the point where I couldn't hug Edwin because when his kidneys quit working, his body became so painful because the creatine level was so elevated that he couldn't stand human touch. So I'd just kneel in front of him and I'd say, Edwin, you hug me because I don't want to hurt you when I hug you. If I hug you, it might hurt, so you just hug me. So I'd kneel down beside him and he'd put his arms around me and hug my neck. His parents said, Brother Hughes, Edwin's experiencing things that we're, we just, we don't know about. We, we don't know how to take them. We don't know what's happening. So what happened? So we were driving down the road a few weeks back and Edwin seemed to, to, to go unconscious. He quit breathing. His face turned blue. And we rushed him to the emergency room and rushed him into the emergency room. They took him in the trauma unit and and his heart's not beating and, and he's not breathing. And after about four or five minutes, it starts being in his setup. And he said, did you hear, did, did you see him? And we said, hey, see who, Edwin? He said, well, did you see him? And Edwin said, well, who are you talking about? We, 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 we've been right here. We, there's no one here. He said, oh, no, no. He came. Who came, Edwin? Jesus came and sat down on my bed and talked to me today. Jesus told me I'm going to get to go live with him, but you need me more right now, so he's going to let me stay with you for a little while, but I'm going to get to go live with Jesus. He sat on my bed and talked to me. Several months after that, they were driving down the street, and from the back seat, his little voice started saying to mom and dad, Mom, dad, do you hear it? Do you hear it? Mom and dad said, what are, you, what are you hearing, Edwin? I can hear the angels sing, Mom. The angels are singing. I guarantee you the story those shepherds had to tell you that night would be the same story that Edwin told me. He heard the angels sing. I said, Edwin, what do they sound like? He said, oh, they were the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. I, I, I can't describe it to you. But it was the most incredible music I've ever heard in my life. Now, from a nine-year-old, that you know, we might say, well, he hadn't lived long enough to understand what good music was all about. But he loved music and he loved to sing, and he could hear them. On occasion, his parents said he'd start singing the songs they were singing, and he'd sing with the angels that he was hearing sing. Because he heard the angels sing. You get to write your own story. When Edwin passed away the day he died, he called his mom into his room and said, Mom, do you think the church would send the young people over to our house today? You think young people would come and, and they would sing for me? And his mom said, I'm sure they would. So she called my friend, Brother Pugh, and said, Brother Pugh, Edwin wants the young people to come and sing for him today. Would, would, would they come? And he said, of course they'd come. And so he called the young people of church, and the young people all gathered at his home, and they start singing the songs that Edwin wanted to sing. And 
And Edwin was still in his room, and they were in the living room, and he told his mom, carry me and put me in the living room so I can sing with them. And so they pick Edwin up and carry him in the living room and set him on the couch. And there, Edwin sitting on the couch, he begins to sing with them. And as he's singing with them that day, a beautiful smile came upon his face, and he simply slumped over the side and went to be with Jesus. He had met him 10 times in the previous six months when he came to his room and talked to him because the Savior is still the Savior of the world. And we can still write his story. In the middle of chaos and junk, middle of all kinds of issues and problems, Jesus showed up to make a little boy feel safe. And that's what he does for all of us. When you're in your darkest time of life and you think there's no way out, if you'll just stop and do a sila, just pause long enough to listen, you'll hear his voice. You'll know he's there. You'll understand who he really is because he hadn't changed at all. He's still having angels sing to let people know it's really safe here. Fear not, because I bring you good tidings of great joy. As I read Luke and started looking at everybody Luke had to go to to hear the story of who Jesus was, that's those witnesses he talks about that he could talk about and tell people about. This is what the shepherd said. This is what Mary said. This is what Simeon said. This is what Anna said. This is what happened at Nazareth. This is what Mama said. And he goes through all those events, but there came a point when he could start sharing what he had experienced with Paul traveling and, and a man falling out of a window and his neck being broken and they bring him back and Paul prays for him and he comes back to life. And all the miracles he saw and participated in when he taught Paul how to do some things. Now here's a Gentile that had more influence on the apostle Paul than all the Jews put together. Because a doctor gets to see men where they actually live, and he lives in their real world. And so he teaches Paul how to live with men in their real world. When you read the book of Acts, if you look for the plural pronouns, you know that he's present. He's on the ship when it wrecks. He's standing by the fire when he sees the snake latch its fangs on Paul's hand and he should have died but he didn't and he shook it off in the fire. He, he stood and watched as the men began to fall in, in Paul's presence and, and worship him as a god and Paul would say, no, I'm not. Stand up. I'm a man like you. I have just met Jesus. Can I introduce you to Jesus? This is what Jesus can do for you. That's what we need to show our world. See, I, I remember as a child slipping up to a bedroom where a sick mother had been given a death sentence that she'd die. I, I remember listening at a mother that was knew that her life expectancy was almost over, been diagnosed with cancer, 
I remember slipping up to that bedroom and listening to her pray. And I never heard her complain. I never heard her say, you know, God, I can't believe you're doing this to me. How could this happen, God? I never heard one word of complaint. All I ever heard coming out of her mouth was thanking God for being so good to her and, and filling her with the Holy Ghost and, and filling her mother with the Holy Ghost and her aunt with the Holy Ghost and, and her cousins and, and her husband. And she'd just name everybody in her family that God had filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for being so good to me, Jesus. Before she'd close that prayer, she would say something like this. Jesus, you healed me when they said I couldn't have no more kids. How in the world could it be your will for some other woman to raise these kids? And y'all got to see her. Some of you did. She lived to be 84 years of age because she wrote her own story. And I got to see that story. And I was able to witness that story. But today, I want to tell you, it's not what I saw happen to mom. It's what I've seen happen myself. And last summer, preaching in Kentucky, there was a young man, 21 years of age, that came to service that had a hole in his heart that was having open heart surgery on Monday morning. He couldn't breathe. His face was blue. And, and, and he was... Uh, his heart was terribly diseased, and they, he came to the front, just wanted to be prayed for. And so we walked down, we laid our hands on him, and we prayed for him. And all of a sudden, he stood up straight. Now, uh, uh, his face was no longer blue like it was before, and he took off running around that church. And he made several laps, which he wasn't supposed to be able to do, and came back and started dancing there in front of that church that Sunday morning or Saturday night as God healed him of a hole in his heart. And when he went to the doctor on Monday, the doctor said, we don't need to do surgery. There's no hole. There's nothing wrong because the Savior has came to our world and he is still the Savior of all mankind. And salvation is not just getting you ready for heaven. It's helping you live in the world you live in today. It's equipping you to live where we live today and for our world today to be better than it was before because that's what he's given us and that's what he's placed in our life. The same power that resided in an apostle Paul is the same power residing in every one of you that are here today. And it gives us the ability to experience the same things they did. When I write my story of Jesus, how would I begin to talk about him? When Brother Lejeune began to talk about what Jesus had did for a boy from a broken home whose parents were alcoholic, who had absolutely no hope in life, but when he found Jesus, he found everything he was looking for. And he's changed his world. And we can change ours because there was a Savior born. Sometimes it requires life not to always be pleasant. For Jesus to enter our world, there was a lady that would have to live with shame for 30 plus years. Not only would she have to live with shame, Jesus would have to endure the same shame because it's recorded in the Gospels 
And they often would say, the Pharisees, those religious people who thought they had all the answers, you're born of fornication. You were born out of wedlock. Mary had to live with that stigma. But there come a day when that stigma all changed. There come a day when John records that his first miracle was turning water to wine. And that happened because mama said to that boy, look, I've lived with this for 30 plus years. They made fun of me. They mocked me. It's time you start doing what you were sent to do. Whatever he says do, servants, do it. That's the eyewitness. A mama that remembered how her son preached at Nazareth. And we sang about it this morning. I have been sent to heal brokenhearted. I have been demanded to heal your brokenness. When God heals your heart, that is not an option to God. The literal translation of that passage of Scripture says, I have been demanded to heal your brokenness. For God to heal you of the brokenness of life, that is nothing. He takes that on as a responsibility. If you show up, God says, I will immediately heal your brokenness. And once the healing of brokenness takes place, then it becomes a journey where you let your life heal from the junk that life has produced. But there's salvation at God's house. There is an eyewitness that says, I know he saves. I know he heals. I know he delivers. I know he takes us out of all kinds of places and environments. I know he has the power to change lives because I don't have to tell you what he did for somebody else. I can tell you what I've seen and what I've experienced in my own life. See, the doctors say, I'm not supposed to talk. Not supposed to have a voice. When they intubated me in 1983 and that tube stuck to my vocal cord and they pulled it out and tore my vocal cord loose, my doctor told me to change professions because you'll never talk again. But I've met Jesus. <laughs> I have a testimony for you today. I know the healer today. He doesn't just do it for somebody else. He didn't do it for mama. He didn't do it for those around me as a child. But he's done it for me as well. He'll do it for you. I don't care what kind of problems life may have produced for you today. That doesn't keep you from changing your life and your life being better. It's your choice today. And it's your power and ability today to become anything you want to be. You just got to let God lead you to where he needs to lead you and be willing to listen to what he has to say and he'll take you places that you never thought you would ever go in your life. I can promise you today that it never entered the mind of a very backward, introverted child that had ever preached the gospel. I was terrified to give book reports. The only C I got in high school, I got because I would not verbally give a book report in front of the class. I hated crowds and people. 
I'd have never thought this would have ever happened. Not in my wildest dreams that I'd get to speak in countries I'd never been to. And I never thought about it. I, I, Brother Frizzell, I'd have never thought I could have walked into that little church in northwest Burma and watched those people begin to worship God and dance for an hour, singing in tongues in unison. Most incredible experience of my life. Watch those people worship God. In the last part of my sermon today, the day of purification, the eyewitness, Luke, records the fact that when Mary, 40 days of purification were over, when a woman gave birth to a child, if it was a male, she had to wait 40 days to come to the temple to be purified. She had to bring a lamb and a turtle dove. The lamb was for the offering uh, of purification. The turtle dove was for a sin offering. And she had to bring it to the priest so that it could be offered for her purification. And so Paul or Luke says that, that on that day, the 40th day of purification, when Mary comes bringing Jesus to be presented and Simeon to be able to see the salvation of the Lord, for that day to come, they bring Jesus, but there's not a lamb there's two turtle doves. The reason there's not a lamb is because God had made provisions. If you didn't have the money to buy a lamb, you could bring a turtle dove. So instead of one turtle dove for a sin offering, she brings a second for an offering of purification because Jesus was born into a poor family. And the turtle dove is the Poor man's sacrifice for atonement and for sin. So Jesus said, I have come to identify with every branch of humanity. It doesn't matter if you're a king in a palace or if you're the pauper on the street. It doesn't matter where you're at. I come that every man has the power and the ability to bring the right sacrifice. And Paul refined that sacrifice to us and tells us, the sacrifice he's really looking for, that you present that sacrifice, which is the fruit of your lips. And when you present the fruit of your lips, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It has the same effect. That's all he's looking for today. So the poor man's sacrifice is just the ability to praise him. And when we started singing those songs today about him, which give adoration and praise to him, look what always happens when we do those things. Now, we can sing songs about our trials and our troubles and all that other junk. They don't produce nothing. Well, you start seeing about how holy he is, how righteous he is, and what he does when he delivers, and, and how he heals life. And the moment you do that, you get an instant result because he's always here. Because a Savior was born into this world that allows us not to talk about somebody else's story but to become our own story of our own eyewitness. And we can tell others about what Jesus has done for us and how he's delivered us and how he's changed our life and how he's saved our lives. So today, what is the story that you write to your world? Behold, you are an epistle known and read of all men. It's not what we say that changes lives. It's the behavior we live and the lifestyle we live that show people what Jesus is really all about.
I bring you good news. A Savior was born today. Now, you and I get to still experience that same saving ability. After serving the Lord for about 20 years, it appears Luke decides to let Theophilus know this is what people said about him, but this is also what I know about him. This is my testimony. Do we love him enough to write our own version of Jesus? Have we been around him enough that we want to let the world know what our version of Jesus is? I hope it's not the version that says you only need him occasionally. The version that really works is the one when you get sold out to him. And then it changes the world. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you don't fear any kind of evil. Why? Because thou art with me. I I walk to the darkest places of life and never have one ounce of fear because I know that he's walking right beside me. And when I get to there, and when I get through the valley, thou preparest a table before me. Where? At home in a banquet hall? Back home where everything's safe behind walls? Where? In the presence of mine. See, the part of this story you get to write is in the middle of a battle you get to call a timeout. And your enemy has to stand and watch while you celebrate a banquet and you get full and you refresh yourself. And the enemy can't participate. He can only watch while you enjoy what God has for you. Brother Hughes, what are you preaching this kind of sermon for? Because this is the most stressful time of the year. This is the most chaotic time of the year. There are more suicides between November and December 24th than any other time of the year. Why? Because it brings up all kinds of junk. But let's don't focus on the junk. Why don't we focus on the reason for the season? There's more to this than just coming to church. There's more to this than just the casual things of life. I read last night, I don't even remember where I could pick this up from. Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. You know who quoted that? Got any idea where that came from? Dr. Seuss, children's book. Christmas is not about a store. Maybe it's just a little bit more. Please stand.